Today, we're going to take you to North Korea. <laughs> Perhaps you've never thought you'd want to go to North Korea, but certainly you need to know what's happening there. We're going to do that with uh, Morris Tan, who was the former ambassador at large for President Trump, actually. And now he's the dean of the School of Law at Liberty. So there is an intersection here. There's an intersection in that in North Korea, there is no justice. It is the most brutal society you can imagine. And Moore's now is overseeing the training of young attorneys who are learning all about justice. And at Liberty, I think they learn about real justice, which is a discussion we're going to get into with Morris. Uh, but, um, and one more thing, I was in North Korea on 9-11 of 2001. That's a pretty dramatic story. I won't tell all of it today, but I will get into some of it, and I think you might find it interesting, so I hope you'll stay tuned. Meanwhile, let me thank Preborn, because they have agreed to sponsor this show in our beginning stages here. We just are uh, in our first month here. And so, Preborn, we are very grateful, and you, many of you, have come alongside Preborn not only to help the show and encourage us, but also, certainly, more importantly, to save the lives of babies. How does preborn do that? They do that by going into these clinics where women are confused about their pregnancy. It's not Planned Parenthood clinic. It's like a crisis pregnancy and those kinds of clinics. And they provide ultrasounds to women who would like are just under that process of consideration. The ultrasound is very detailed. It has saved a lot of babies' lives because when a mom sees that she has a boy or she sees that she has a girl, and she sees that baby sucking its finger, and she sees that heart beating. It's really hard to say, I'm going to have an abortion. And most women don't go through with it after they see that. That's the power of the ultrasound, and that's the power of preborn to save babies' lives. So far, they've saved over 200,000. And so if you'd like to help, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And by the way, it's very affordable. It's $28 will pay for one ultrasound for one mom who's pregnant with one baby. And so $28 is affordable for most of us. I hope that you can afford that. If you can't, don't give. If you don't have $28, I want you to feed your family. But if you can do that, or if you can pay more than that, because you, you've been blessed and you have excess, $140 will help five babies uh, save their lives. And so if you would like to do that, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. And by the way, all your gifts, no matter how generous you can be, are tax deductible, and that will help you at least a little bit. Uh, in terms of just the practical part of this, Sandy Rios 24-7 is available on all podcast networks. You can go to Apple or Spotify or Amazon, or you fill in the blanks. I don't even know the names of all of them, but you probably have your favorite platform. Uh, or if you can go to our home base, it's AFR.net, AFR.net, or I think the best thing to do is to download the app, the AFR. Our app on your smartphone. And you can listen anytime, anyplace, all over the globe if you have that app. Uh, we are available at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, Getter and Truth Social, YouTube and Rumble. And by the way, we have a phone number. If you want to call, leave a message, ask a question, make a comment, make a suggestion, you can do that at 662 821 2040. That's 662 821 You can email us at sandy 
at AFR.net. That's Sandy at AFR.net. Or last but not least, you can go to SandyRios.com and find a lot more information about what, what we're doing and where we're going and all that kind of thing. All right, today we are in for a special treat because uh, Morse Tan, who is the Dean of the Law School at Liberty, has such incredible experience as amb- being ambassador at large uh, for the President Trump. And in that capacity, Uh, He was exploring atrocities in countries across the globe. So we get into the country of North Korea pretty quickly. So I hope you'll sit back and relax and take in the information in this show. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness that we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. All right, Sandy Rios here with you. We're on the campus of Liberty University, and now we're at the School of Law. And there's a new dean here that I met in Washington, D.C. a little bit over a year ago, and we had the most fascinating conversation. And since that time, I thought, I've got to interview him. So now I'm in his office. He's sitting across from me. His name is Morse Tan, and he is the dean of the School of Law at Liberty University. Let me just say that you are a foremost legal scholar on North Korea and you published a North Korea International Law and the Dual Crises. I, I want to go there because I, uh, in fact, you were named Korean American of the Year and Emerging Leader by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs. You have done a lot of work regarding North Korea. I think I've told you this, Morris. Just want to say that I was in North Korea on 9-11. I was one of uh, six broadcasters. We didn't go over there as broadcasters. They didn't know who we were. Uh, but um, so I have some interest. I was the first chairman of the North Korea Freedom Coalition. Mm. So mm. Uh, and through that, we got that first that North Korea Freedom Act passed uh, a long time ago. And we prov- you know, they provided for radios to be dropped in behind the lines. And so I, I'm only just telling you that's what I know about it, plus interviewing people and all of that. But I want to know about you. I want to know about what you did with North Korea and w- how you would assess what's happening there now. It is the most unjust place on planet Earth. I coined a new term to describe it. I said that the North Korean people live in a state of rightlessness, that the government does not respect or recognize any of the rights of the people of North Korea. And so the people are trampled by this unjust, tyrannical, totalitarian state. And it is also the worst persecutor of Christians, bar none, in all the world, every study, every year, by every group, has ranked North Korea the, the number one persecutor of Christians. This is a place that used to be, Pyongyang, the capital of North Korea, used to be called the Jerusalem of the East because it was the center of Christianity for all of Asia. And it systematically has persecuted and martyred so many believers on its path of eliminating around 15 million of its own people in a country with only around 24 million people. When I was there, there was uh, a lot of so much starvation. Maybe that's just an ongoing thing. 
we interviewed uh, people that had escaped. Well, at first I was in um, northern Manchuria, and we interviewed people. Some of our guys went to caves where people were hiding. They'd crossed across the Tumon River where we were, and others were, you know, swimming up to the shore, and Christians had set up like these, I don't know what to call them, stations where they gave them food, they gave them little Bibles that they hid, little disguise, which I shouldn't say, but they, and um, it, well, it was, people were dying constantly, and we had a lot of insight on the cruelty that you're describing, but is it still the same? It is, if anything, worse. Um, When you have three dictators, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, and now Kim Jong-un, Kim Jong-un is the cruelest and most tyrannical of the three. And so, you know, people trying to escape North Korea, even children, the order is... I interviewed many of those children. Yes. Three little sh- boys that had yes. swum across the Tumon. Yes. The orders are to shoot to kill on sight. That's the orders because it's considered a high crime to leave North Korea. You have concentration camps that are every bit as bad, if not worse, than the ones of Nazi Germany, Maoist China, Stalinist Soviet Union, except they're worse in this respect. They punish three generations. So you could be born in a total control zone concentration camp for something that allegedly your grandparent did against the regime. And that's the bulk of who's in there. It's people who are not considered sufficiently loyal to the Kim dynasty. You know, I interviewed one woman. She was This is in northern Manchuria. Mm-hmm. She was in her early 20s, and she sat on the floor. Her legs were mangled, like they, didn't, they weren't straight. Really pretty girl. And what happened was she had been caught. Uh, the interpretation was a little rocky. So the, the general story that I got was that she had been caught for trying to escape across the Tumon, or she had, and then gone back. Uh, and they put her in prison, and she knew that three generations of her family would be eliminated. And so to try to save her family, she jumped out of the top of the prison, and that's why her legs were mangled. Uh, I don't have any idea how she got. I don't, don't know the rest of the story. I don't know, but that's how bad it is. I just wanted to tell that story to, to underscore that. The other thing that you mentioned that made me re- remember things that I learned you said Pyongyang was the Jerusalem of the East. Well, Kim Il Sun, you know, it, in in North Korea, in the wherever headquarters we were, there were portraits of Kim Il Sun posed like those uh, color renderings in old uh, Bibles. Like when in the '60s there was a famous artist, and it was Jesus feeding the five thousand. It was Jesus surrounded by the little children. It was Jesus ascending, you know. And there's a characteristic look of them. Kim Il-sun posed for each of those, Kim Il-sun with the children, Kim Il-sun feeding the 5,000. Do you, do you have any knowledge of, uh, my understanding was his family was, was Christian, and he just completely rebelled against that. But can you embellish that a little bit? Yes. So his mom was a believer, and he has taken the teachings of the Bible and Christianity and twisted and distorted and put himself— and his son and his grandson, basically, in an unholy triad, if you will. Instead of the Ten Commandments, they have the Ten Principles. And basically, it is a criminal cult where these supreme rulers of North Korea have arrogated themselves to themselves the place of God himself. And they have 
tried to stamp out Christianity and Christians because, as one non-Christian defector put it, they're afraid that of the real God, of that the real God may show up and that there's actually real power and a real ability to change and transform lives and an allegiance that is higher than any other allegiance. That's a threat uh, to the Kim dynasty. And they're also afraid of how Christianity spreads. It's good news and it spreads. And so having a Bible is illegal. Having a cross or any symbol of Christianity is illegal. Those who are treated worst among the prisoners in the concentration camps and those who have been systematically martyred are Christians. They have a couple of sham churches that they set up. Oh, yeah, like like China. Yes, and to show those who are coming to inspect for human rights and religious (laughs) liberty, guess who runs it? It's the Communist Party (laughs) folks who run these so-called services at these sham churches. And uh, on, on the flip side of it, they have pictures of the three supreme rulers of North Korea, which people are required to have. You are legally required, if your house is burning down, to run back into your dwelling place to rescue those from the burning inferno at the risk of your life. You're required legally to do that. There was a kid who scrawled on some of those pictures, and the whole family was sent to a concentration camp for a little kid scrawling with a crayon on those pictures. That's life in North Korea. And they have to wear the pen every day. Uh, There's a harsh penalty if they don't wear it. I think, is it still uh, um, Kim Il-sung, whose pen they wear? Anyway, the dear leader. He's referred to the eternal president. The eternal president. Of North Korea. I'm laughing, you know, it's terrible. You listen to these hijackings of the place that only belongs to God and to no mere mortal. And yet they have appropriated to themselves these titles that are only reserved for God himself. There's so much we could say about that, but I uh, let me all, uh, change it, the subject a little bit because you may know this, but I want you to know this. You're Korean-born, mm-hmm. and I want you to know that I met so many courageous Korean-Americans who were over there trying to help the refugees. Yes. We were, uh, there was a couple from California who mm-hmm. were our hosts. And in fact, I'll just a little, when we came back across the border on the 12th, we knew nothing about 9-11 because there's no communication, just a total blackout in every way. And uh, we went to this Chinese restaurant and the, the owner told us, and we didn't believe him, but he was right. When we called with a satellite phone, we confirmed it. And so our Korean American hosts took us quickly back up to their apartment in the dark. They lived on the top floor, and it was in their apartment that we watched the bodies falling from the tower. But they were the most godly couple. And along the way, I met so many. You know, Korean Americans, uh, I I recognize that there was a huge revival as a result of Billy Graham's preaching, right? In Korea, that's kind of what got this started. And you had the famous evangelist, who's Billy Kim, is that were your folks? Uh, were they saved under the influence of the preaching of Billy Kim, or no, do you know? No, no. <laughs> uh, not, not I know of. But um, but you know, I've I've studied the life of Billy Graham uh, rather closely and extensively, and um, when he was broadcast on uh, North Korean television, it's interesting what he the line he started with. He says, "I come to you in the name of Kim Il Sung's mother's God." 
Whoa. <laughs> and, oh, my uh, goodness. I, and, and, and so I know the pastor who arranged for the Grams to go to Korea. Wow. And he told me that he said to the North Korean leadership in government, he said, this getting Billy Graham into your country would be better than having five senators or 10 members of Congress come. So that was the inducement for them to invite Graham. And Graham, of course, preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> like, like he always does. <laughs> Billy, yes. Billy Kim was his translator. Um, he has been. You know, there was a gathering in South Korea in Yoido Plaza that gathered over a million people uh, when he was preaching there. And Billy Kim was preaching. He's, uh, he pastored a large Baptist church yeah. in South Korea. Yeah. And he really studied Graham and would try to imitate the gestures oh. <laughs> and the facial expressions and everything <laughs> and, and such. But um, Franklin Graham has continued. Uh, he's gone and done various things in North Korea uh, as well. But what an amazing thing that they've been able to go there and preach the gospel. Well, when, when it finally does open up, God willing, Yes. Uh, I think, I suspect... Uh, that it's going to be like when China opened up and we mm. found millions and millions and millions of Christians underground. And I think it's going to be the same, don't you? Well, I, I'm not with millions and millions because it, there are that many. It's hard to know exactly how many because, you know, it, it's all completely illegal yes. and criminalized right now. Yeah. Um, and so it's hard to know, but that would be wonderful to find out. You know, just like prayer brought down the Iron Curtain yes. in Eastern Europe, I, yeah. I think the same sort of thing can happen. And I don't know if uh, how many people know this, but it was really American evangelical Christian missionaries who really pioneered uh, the gospel in, uh, in Korea. Korea was unreached with gospel until the 1800s. I don't know wow. if, wow. you know, it was unreached. And frankly, uh, Christianity was illegal then as well. Um, and it was um, Presbyterian and Methodist uh, missionaries who, from the U.S. who went over literally on the same boat, jumped off to the boat together, hands held, clasped together because they wanted neither the Methodists nor the Presbyterians to say uh, we were the first to come. Oh. And, and as a symbol of uh, Christian cooperation yeah. across denominations as wow. well. Wow, wow. And now six out of the ten, last I heard anyway, six out of the ten largest Christian churches are in Korea, in South Korea. And, and they're sending missionaries all over the world to unreached um, peoples because a lot of Korean Christians have the sense of, we were unreached not that long ago. And now it's our turn to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ all over the world. So you'll find Korean missionaries all over the world. I think they're here, too. Yeah. I mean, yeah. honestly, yeah. Uh, there are so many strong Korean Christians we, that we come in contact with, and mm-hmm. there's no question. Isn't that something, how God works, using yes. the Amer- Americans and British missionaries to evangelize the world? I, I found that in Vietnam. I had Vietnamese se- soldiers singing Amazing Grace to me because American soldiers had taught them. You know, it's the gospel just spreading, and now we are so in need of that same thing, and I find it coming full circle back to us. Mm. But, um, all right, so, Morris, when I met you uh, a year plus ago, two years? No, a year plus, a year plus, you had were just beginning to make plans to come to Liberty to be their dean of the law school. 
So we cannot say goodbye until you tell me about the law school at Liberty University. <laughs> I mean, the one of the things that comes to my mind is, you know, law schools are, I think, like 99.9% totally woke. They're gone. My husband is an attorney. He's What he sees is happening at the University of Illinois Law School, which is where he went, is just terrible. And kids are being indoctrinated, students, young lawyers, the Bar Association is corrupt. So how in the world do you train your students to enter that world? You know, um, among the nationally accredited ABA law schools, there are two that are seriously trying to be uh, stay evangelically Christian in a serious and thoroughgoing way. And liberty is one of them. And, um, you know, there was um, someone who works here at Liberty. Uh, before I started, I was on campus, and she was thinking of sending her son to the law school. And she was asking me about what I, how would I approach the Christian mission, and what did I think about the Christian mission of Liberty's law school, and you know what, what does that mean to me? And I, I don't even remember the exact question, but I remember spontaneously saying. I didn't, it wasn't premeditated at all at that time, but I remember spontaneously saying that uh, Liberty University School of Law loses its Christian mission over my dead body. <laughs> so, Well, I'm going to write that down because I love that. <laughs> yeah. There is nothing more special about what this place is about than its Christian mission. I want to be as thoroughgoing as possible. Whatever I could do to deepen, to strengthen, to broaden, to extend uh, the Christian mission of this place. Um, something I said in a recent interview that was in the Liberty Magazine uh, is that if this place loses its Christian mission, then shut it down. Really, because it's nothing. America in the world doesn't need just another law school. (laughs) I think quasi Christian is worse than pagan. I just uh, no. Either you're all in or you're not in at all. But practically hot or cold. Yeah, or (laughs) spew you out of my mouth. I think I read that somewhere. Uh, You know, (laughs) uh, but but still, practically speaking, where do your students go? They when they graduate, where can they find jobs, and what kind of work do they find to do? So I pray and. I see as well that our graduates go into every part of law. Um, whether uh, one is, there's an unusually high percentage who go into public service, public interest law as well as governmental uh, service, and so uh, I think it has one of the highest percentages in the country of those who go on into public service, and that I think is doesn't uh, surprise me. Yes. Yeah. But uh, into all sorts of different law firms and practice and uh, various sorts of leadership positions, um, the whole gamut, really. And so we believe that um, Christians can serve in obedience to God's calling in all parts of law and government and society. Uh, And really, my prayer is that each of the alumni will go in accordance to God's calling, whatever that may be, wherever that may be. Um, It's what Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch statesman, uh, said in his stone lectures at Princeton University at that time. He says, there is not a square inch of the universe of which Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, does not say mine. Right? 
So that's true of real estate law as well as constitutional law. That's true of contract law as it is of state and local government law. Um, it doesn't matter what area it is. God can call uh, Christians to be salt and light throughout the society. And there's a huge need for salt and light. And um, this is we can be a little bit of a salt shaker, maybe, and <laughs> shine our little light around. Um, yeah. Morris, I'm just reminded of why I hit it off with you so well. We are kindred spirits. And so it's a real privilege to have this time with you and your busy day trying to run this law school. And, you know, what do you do, scold? You you, you give students timeouts? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm sure you do other things besides that. But this is an incredible campus, and I would just say to anyone who's has an interest in law or have, have children that you want to be in an environment where they'll really learn what's true and what isn't and how to fight for what's right, this, this really is the place to be. And Morris Tan, as the dean of the law school, makes sure that the ship runs right over in this area too. So Morris, thank you so much for making time for us. God bless you and keep you, and hopefully we'll talk to you again soon. We look forward to that. It's great to be with you now. Okay, thank you. Mm-hmm. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Another incredible discussion with Morse Tan, and uh, we're, going, we're going to talk about it, Bruce and I, in just a second, I, because we have a few things to say. Uh, but let me first of all thank Preborn for being our sponsor for this show. It's preborn.com slash Sandy. And if you can afford $28, you can save one baby's life and really a mother's life, too. <laughs> Uh, when she decides not to terminate her pregnancy, it does change her life. Not many people, not many women, go through abortion and have no regrets. Some do. I have to be honest. Some do. They don't care. Uh, but most women regret it many, many years hence, and so do their husbands or the fathers of the baby. And so if you'd like to help stop that because uh, you'd like to save a life, it's $28 for one ultrasound, $28. You can go to preborn.com slash Sandy, preborn.com slash Sandy, and uh, make the most generous uh, gift that you can. And it is tax deductible, by the way. All right, I've asked my husband, Bruce, to join me. Bruce is a former FBI agent and also attorney, went to University of Illinois Law School. Um, Bruce, did you ever think, when you were a law school student, did you ever think that you would go someplace like, uh, like I say, a liberty, where you would hear about God molded in with the whole notion of justice? Oh, never. I mean... Uh... Uh, don't get me wrong. We had very nice professors, however you want to phrase it, uh, good people. But you never, never heard of the gospel at law school. You never heard, really, you never heard God invoked. Um, it's a very secular, very intelligentsia type uh, atmosphere. I was not a believer at the time, but I can tell you it was very uncomfortable being there because I didn't know it at the time. I was a conservative. I didn't know what that meant, but I, in my mind, that's already where I was at. And I can tell you that the kids going to school with me, for the most part, were not conservatives and certainly weren't believers. Well, and now the law schools have become so woke, they become dangerous. And now, you know, attorneys are becoming so political. Like, they, they poison the well. They punish each other. They shun. They... Mm-hmm. Uh, cancel uh, other attorneys who won't, you know, go with the group think, which is kind of tied into what we talked about with Cambodia uh, in the last session. It's where people are capable of, they just lose their judgment. You know, because I think 
common sense, and we talk about the intelligentsia, without the knowledge of God, it's really just information and facts. It isn't wisdom. And so I think practicing law, and there's a measure of it, I think if there's any wisdom in an attorney or a judge, it, 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 the God is the author, even if they don't recognize that. But the world becomes twisted and perverse if you don't have a knowledge of good and evil and, a, and an acquaintance with who God is. So if you were to go back to law school now, how do you think you would respond? Oh, I think I would be absolutely shocked. You talk about a, uh, you know, a fish out of water. Um, You'd be in an uh, argument all the time, wouldn't you? <laughs> yeah. I, I, what happens is I, I still get email um, notices from my law school as to what's going on and what they're promoting and what they're advocating. I, I can't stand it. It's woke upon woke upon woke. And it's just everything is about people with a grievance. You know, there, there's nothing positive. It's always somebody's being shafted by somebody and we need to do something about it. Now, I'm not against that, but there are other things to that law school other than just worrying about those kind of issues. Now, Sandy, I've heard you talk for many years about your time in North Korea, which fascinated me. First off, I wondered how in the world did you ever get into North Korea was one of the things. But is there anything that we didn't talk about in the broadcast that um, you want to relate to us about North Korea? Well, of course, it's a lot to say about that story, uh, Bruce. But I think one thing I'd like to emphasize is I just don't think people have any idea, any idea, what it's like not to be free. And I got a glimpse of that when I lived in Berlin, Germany, when I was young. And I used to drive through Checkpoint Charlie, which was the the window of opening between the West and East Berlin with American MPs guarding it and East Germans pointing guns at you as you pass through the tank barriers. I did that many times. And then I uh, went into East Berlin where it was colorless, silent. The contrast between the vibrant West, uh, a successful big cars, beautiful clothing, and just the buzz of the West, West Berlin driving into the East, which was communist at the time, was breathtaking. The poverty, no cars on the road. You go to a restaurant and you just hear people, you, there was no talking. People would just, you'd hear the forks clinking on the plate. So I had a taste of what it was like not to be free. I could say a lot more about that. Guards everywhere, people scared to death to even look up. Uh, but I tasted that again in North Korea. Uh, because in North Korea, it's even worse, worse than East Berlin. Because if you stick your head up in the wrong way, they will kill you. They will slaughter you. They will kill your babies. I heard stories about they would be testing uh, guards to see how tough they were. And uh, one thing they would do is take them to the river. I guess it was the Tumon. There's probably other rivers. And they would throw a baby into the river and see if that person could just let it drown and not react. And if they could find someone who was callous enough, they would make them a guard or one of their soldiers that would torment the people. That's how bad it is. And I don't think people understand. Americans don't understand. When we talk about freedom, we're not talking about my freedom to just live the way I want or eat what I want or have sex the way I want or fill in the blow, look at anything I want. It's not, that's not what it means to be free. Freedom has to do with the human spirit, the, the oppression, the control, the hot hand of 
control and oppression on your neck so you have no choices that you can make. That is freedom, and that's what our founding fathers came here to establish. It wasn't all those so-called freedoms that I just described earlier. That is such a flippant, shallow understanding of the word freedom. That's, I think, what I would want to emphasize. And God placed that in our heart. He placed that in our heart, and we are really, truly only free when we know him. So um, there are boundaries about behavior, but fences and boundaries bring freedom. It's really odd how that happens. If you have no rules, just, just try to not to raise a child without any rules or boundaries and see what happens. They get so confused, they get spoiled, they, get, they, don't, they can't operate. Everyone needs a fence. They need a door. They need some sort of boundary. So God gives boundaries, but within those boundaries, we have a tremendous freedom and we can flourish and be all that he has created us to be. So that's what comes to mind when I think of North Korea. Thank you for asking me that, Bruce. Uh, there's a lot more to say about that story, and I'm sure at some point uh, in, our, in our upcoming days and years together, I'll tell more of the story about North Korea and other adventures I've had overseas. But for now, I hope you enjoyed this show for today. So then we're going to say goodbye, goodbye. Bye, Bruce. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Bye.